0: We're back. Let me tell you a story, podcast number nineteen.
1: It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years it ago. Was the age of never mind. It is a truth universally acknowledged. Christmas one. You don't know
2: about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story, with hosts Steve and Becky Lyle. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hey, this is Steve.
1: Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. I'll begin um, this time by reading from The Women Who Knew Him, Stories of Jesus' Earthly Ministry to Women. Author Patricia Deal has written fictional accounts of historical women whose encounters with Jesus are recorded in the Bible. This story is about Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I stirred the lentil soup as it simmered over the fire, almost ready for our our evening meal. The drawbar flipped upward, and Simon burst into the room, trailed less noisily, by Andrew, I loved those boys as if they were my own, even though they were not blood kin of mine. When big-hearted Simon married my daughter Sarah, he included me in their household along with his brother Andrew. Simon began talking as soon as he cleared the threshold. Miriam, a most exciting thing has happened. Remember us talking of the rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth? Well, we saw him walking along the seaside this morning, followed by a crowd of people, He stopped where we were cleaning our nets and asked us to row him out a short distance from shore. We agreed and climbed into my boat. He signaled me where he wanted to anchor and then stood and started speaking to the crowd. When he finished, he told us to get our nets and row to deeper water. I grumbled that we had fished all night without a single bite, but since he insisted, we gave it another try. Andrew helped me haul in the nets and we rowed out to our favorite fishing spot. again. Jesus told us to let down our nets, and all of a sudden they were filled with fish. Quite out of character, Andrew broke in. And it was not just one successful try. Soon the entire boat was loaded with fish, and we were yelling to Matthias and Levi to come help us. They rowed like demons were chasing them, and almost as soon as their nets hit the water, they were full. We had two boats brimming with fish and close to capsizing because of the huge catch. Simon took up the thread of the tail. By the time we had gotten all those fish back to shore, I knew Jesus of Nazareth was no ordinary man. I jumped out of my boat and knelt in front of him. Lord, I said, I am a man of unclean heart. He raised me up, saying, Yahweh could use even such a man as me. After we had finished cleaning our catch, Jesus sat down with us. Join me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. Miriam, my heart leaped within me. I answered, Yes, Lord. "'Where shall we go first? "'My heart leapt within me also, but it was not with joy. "'Simon, Simon,' I said, "'trying not to sound like a nagging old woman. "'What will become of your livelihood while you, "'while you are out doing this fishing for men, "'and the fish in the sea are flopping into the nets of someone else?' "'Not to worry, little mother,' answered my enthusiastic son-in-law. "'The men we just hired are good workers, "'so our fishing business should not suffer.' As the two sat down with the wine I had cooled in our grotto-covered spring, they continued discussing the heady decision they had made that day. I busied myself with the meal, outwardly tranquil, but imagining a miserable future. What will become of me, i mused. My husband is dead these five years since his boat capsized in a storm on the Galilee. My beautiful daughter Sarah died in childbirth, and now the boys plan to leave home. Simon's voice interrupted my dreary thoughts. "'Miriam, when did I first meet Jesus?' The men had been laughing about whose memory was a sharper. "'It was when you went to Bethany to fetch Andrew,' I answered. "'You both returned with new light in your eyes and a spring in your step.' "'Yes!' exclaimed Simon. "'Never had I heard a man speak as Jesus did then. "'Of Yahweh, of our land of Galilee, of sadness, such as I knew when Sarah died.' This was the first time Simon had spoken Sarah's name since the dreadful night we lost her and the babe. He continued, This rabbi Jesus then said the strangest thing to me. I felt he was looking deep into my soul. You are Simon, son of Jonas, he stated. You will be called Peter. Odd, is it not, that he should call me a rock? If anyone ran into you, they would think you were a rock. Andrew chuckled. The men continued to talk as I mended a rip in Andrew's tunic. This new interest in their lives was not only invigorating, but healing for them. However, what was exciting for young men held no joy for a widow past her prime. My grief and bitterness were ever with me, and now an uncertain future weighed me down as well. Later in the week, during a period of stormy weather, Simon and Andrew, along with two of their fisherman friends, James and John, breezed into the house at midday. They had a man with them I had never seen before. As I welcomed them, Simon said, Miriam, I want you to meet our rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth. I had only glanced at the man when they all trooped in, since five full-grown men in our little house was somewhat overwhelming. Now my eyes were drawn to the stranger, and I suddenly remembered how Simon had mentioned that this Jesus seemed able to look deep into one's very soul. Welcome to our home, rabbi. His eyes smiled into mine as he thanked me. The men discussed ideas from the scriptures that had been introduced by the rabbi. As they ate the broiled fish, goat cheese, and bread I served them. I was not paying much attention to the conversation till I overheard the words. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and your souls will find rest. How long had it been since I had slept the whole night through? My entire body often ached from fatigue and sorrow. Was it rest I needed or oblivion? The idea of going to sleep and not awakening sometimes appealed to me. But then, dread thought, had I been good enough to go to paradise so that I might be with my dear Zacharias and Sarah? I was certain their gentle souls had traveled there. My wondering thoughts were interrupted by the visitors rising, preparing to leave. James and John nodded to me in parting, but the rabbi came to me, took my hand, and said, Thank you, Miriam, for the meal you served us. Shalom, peace to you. His hand was warm, his eyes that once again looked deep into my soul were kind, but his words touched the hard ball of misery frozen inside my heart. Shalom. Peace. I bowed my head. Thank you, Rabbi, I murmured, unable to look up for fear my brimming eyes would overflow. Curious Simon would likely question my behavior if he saw me weeping. With our guests gone, the household retired for the night. Fortunately, Simon seemed not to have noticed my reaction to the rabbi. This is not too surprising, since Andrew was the more sensitive of the two men. But he said nothing. As I lay in my bed, I pondered the words and sensations of the past evening. Truly, this rabbi was no ordinary man. The kind surety I sensed surrounding him puzzled me. And on that thought, I fell asleep. When I awoke the next morning, I realized I had slept the whole night through. The weight clenched inside me lightened, and for some reason... I felt full of energy and ready to face the day. That evening, my two boys were still talking about their decision to follow the rabbi and be fishers of men. Their friends, James and John, had also decided to follow Jesus. And their father, Zebedee, was agreeable. I wondered if Zebedee would be physically able to oversee a fleet of boats and numerous employees. He had also agreed to watch over our fishing boats. My fear for the future had lessened, but I pondered the prospective change with discomfort. I had grown up in a household of fishermen married a fisherman, and was now keeping house for fishermen. Fishing for men just did not have the sound of security that nets full of fish signified to me. Perceptive Andrew seemed to sense my concern and touched my shoulder. Miriam, the rabbi spoke to the crowd today about the flowers of the field that do not work or spin, and how the robes of King Solomon were never more beautiful than those flowers. He also reminded us that the birds of the air are fed by the hand of God, who even knows when a sparrow falls. Are we not more important than sparrows? Worry about our needs for the day is not necessary because our Heavenly Father knows exactly what those needs are and will supply them. I marveled at all these words coming from Andrew, who rarely spoke two or three sentences in an entire evening. The talk veered to the huge catch of the previous week while I thought about not needing to worry. There was silence for a moment, but then Simon said, Miriam, I was thinking we should invite the rabbi for an evening meal soon. Could we do that tomorrow night? I like to cook, but I felt uneasy about this proposal. The rabbi had traveled the land of Israel and had, no doubt, eaten some wonderful meals. On top of that, I was not yet sure about my feelings toward him. After all, my life was in an upheaval due to his influence on Simon and Andrew." I could remember my mother telling me that if the cook disliked anyone at her table, the food would taste bitter to all who partook. I did not want that to happen. Perhaps I can get Hannah to help me prepare a feast, and you can invite all of Zebedee's family, as well as your fishing crew, and their families. I paused for a breath. But give me one more day to organize this meal, Simon. Sounds fine, little mother. He grinned, and I could tell he considered it as good as done. I knew I could depend on my friend Hannah. She was to me as Aaron and her were to Moses. As long as they propped up Moses' arm pointing towards heaven, Israel was able to win their battle against the Amalekites. Hannah had seen me through the good years, rejoicing at Sarah's birth and her wedding, then weeping with me during the bad times at the deaths of my darlings. The next day, as we sat under the sycamore tree in front of her house, I told Hannah about the rabbi and his invitation to Andrew and Simon to fish for men. "'Always one to see the comical side,' Hannah chuckled. "'I know this is serious and quite out of the ordinary, "'but all I can see is burly Simon "'pulling wet men out of the sea and into his boat.' "'She laughed. "'Enough of your joking,' I grinned. "'Be serious for once and help me decide "'what to prepare for this meal, honoring the rabbi.' "'Will I be able to see him?' she asked, "'appearing a little wistful. "'I should hope so. "'Are you not going to help me serve the crowd?' "'Of course, if you need me to.' "'Well, that's settled.' I said, and we began to discuss the merits of perch over tilapia and whether to serve grapes and figs as well as pomegranates. Hannah helped bake the bread during the coolness of the morning the next day, and then we went to the market together, for I could not carry everything by myself. Since the men would bring some of their fresh catch, we were shopping for the most succulent olives and onions, as well as the fruit we had decided on earlier. As I reached for Elisha's cluster of grapes, I began to feel unwell and mentioned it to Hannah. Oh, You're just nervous about this feast, she joked. Maybe so, I replied, and promptly saw the fruit stall begin to weave and sway in the strangest manner. I fell against Hannah, knocking some fruit to the ground. Hannah yelped. Help me with her, Hosea. The shopkeeper had at first rushed toward us because his artfully arranged pomegranates were rolling in every direction. I could faintly hear him assure Hannah that the fine produce we had chosen would be brought to the house as she half-walked, half-dragged me home. Miriam let me help me help you to your bed she insisted my goodness woman you are burning up my teeth began to chatter and chills racked my body Hannah gathered blankets to cover me the minute I was mounded with the blankets I felt like I was suffocating and threw them off The last thing I remember saying was Hannah what shall we do about the meal tonight I heard her answer not to worry as she soothed my feverish forehead with a cool cloth Poor Hannah. In my conscious moments, I realized she was spending the day sponging my hot body and preparing for a feast she was not sure would take place. As she told me later, I did not know if we would be having a feast or a burial meal, but the food would be ready, either way. I was vaguely aware of the men's arrival home and their low tones of concern. I started thrashing around once again, trying to find a cool spot on my bed. I heard Simon say, Andrew, I will go search for the rabbi to tell him of Miriam's illness. And you go to the house of Zebedee and tell all of them that the feast will have to be postponed. Then I felt Hannah's kind hand sponging my forehead with something cool, smelling of lavender water. I lapsed into a fitful sleep, and only roused when I sensed the curtain to my sleeping cubicle being brushed aside. I became aware of someone holding my hand, a mysterious force, feeling like a delicious cool like the delicious cool water from our spring swept through my body, energizing me. My eyes opened as I heard the rabbi's kind voice ask, Can you hear me, Miriam? You will feel much better soon. I looked into the serene eyes of the young man holding my hand, and realization of who he was swept through my mind. Just as seconds earlier, healing had coursed through my body. The rabbi, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, I thank you, was all I could whisper. A moment later I was out of bed, for the fever and pain were gone. Not only that, I felt as light-hearted as a girl. Soon the house was full of people as the family of Zebedee and his hired men received word that all was well. Andrew, it appears Miriam just wanted a nap, joked Zebedee as I walked by with a heavily laden platter in each hand. She certainly does not look like she has been sick. The rabbi healed me, I said simply, and walked back for more food. There was a hush, and then conversation resumed, but I caught snippets of sentences. Fever, just today demon cast out of a man in synagogue. Rabbi, please tell us. The communication system in Capernaum was like any other small town. By the time our meal was finished, a crowd had gathered around our house. The rabbi, whom I now knew as Jesus, my Lord, went outside. He healed all who came to him. As for me, Jesus Christ, the great physician, had not only healed me of a dangerous fever, but the pain and uncertainty in my heart had totally disappeared. I was free, free of sadness, although I had always missed my daughter and my husband. Free of the fear of never seeing them again, the truth of which was something I sensed then but later heard the rabbi teach. Free of concern about the future, for was I not of more importance than a sparrow? I have no way of knowing the gratitude expressed by other people the rabbi healed, but I can never do enough to thank him. I am truly blessed. The touch of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has healed my body. And my soul.
0: Adam Graham's zany sense of humor once again rises to the surface in this short story titled The Perfect Church. Sagebrush rolled by outside my window as I perched on the passenger seat of a five-year-old Prius. Strands of chestnut brown waves flew loose from the inviter's ponytail. Dana pushed back her black wireframe glasses up her nose and drove past a series of army tanks. I blinked. For location, deduct three points. Wow. And here I'd panned the movie theater's church's location. Setting up shop in the industrial section of town near an old National Guard base stole their Oscar for craziest venue. On the bright side, ease of traffic was worth three points, so it would balance out. Dana signaled a right turn. What are you thinking, Kevin? Nothing I'd care to share. No way could a church member find out I was the one blogging critical reviews of every church in the valley. If I blew my cover... I'd lose my effectiveness at saving my visitors from bad churches. So what was your last church like? I coughed. (laughs) My what? Dina flashed me a smile that badly needed braces. That you attended regularly, I mean, of course. Um, before me flashed my aged pastor's frowning red face as he waved my brown root beer bottle at the church picnic. His mouth gaped as he chewed me out in front of the entire church for not avoiding even the appearance of evil. My hands trembled and I glanced away from Dana, eyeing the overgrown wheat field cutting through the the vast plains of sagebrush. That's rather uh, personal. I'd rather not talk about it. Sorry, know how it goes. You'll feel at home here. We'll see. How fast her promises of a perfect church proved empty? So far, none of the churches I'd visited had even cleared 70 points, and the minimum threshold for a church good enough to end my quest was 80. Dana pulled in front of a yellow Quonset hut. With a semicircular arching roof of corrugated metal, the prefabricated building didn't look like a church, but it did look stable, so I'd only deduct two points for poor design. We climbed out of the Prius. I eyed the cracked parking lot populated only with weeds and our car. You don't have a sign. Dana pushed her glasses up. We don't believe in marketing the church. We figure God will bring whoever he wants to come. Plus two for not marketing. Minus two for a crazy theological position. I nodded and entered the church foyer with its creamy forest green walls and gray carpeting. About four dozen people milled about, half male, half female, and racially diverse. About a dozen children gathered in a circle. An Asian girl, about nine or so, appeared at a stack of trivia cards she clutched. What is the eighth book of the New Testament? A white boy about six years old raised his hand. The eighth book of the New Testament is Second Corinthians. Johnny, you have answered correctly. Wow, children who could speak English... With perfect elocution, were well-behaved and knew the Bible, I scanned the congregation's wardrobes. Well-dressed, conservative colors, with no absurd suits or revealing clothing. And thankfully, two-thirds of the women wore pants. Well-balanced congregational appearance. Plus ten points. Dana stepped across the threshold. The women all gasped and swelled toward her. I arched a brow. Dana? The popular type? She always seemed frustrated and sullen at work. Maybe she could be the real Dana here. Another two bonus points. A man with salt and pepper hair and a firm jaw ambled over to me, grabbed my hand, and shook it. His firm grip exerted the pressure a man should use. I'm Pastor Fillmore. John Fillmore. I beamed. Pastor Fillmore. The perfect form of address. Not a childish Pastor John or a presumptuous Dr. or Reverend Fillmore or a hokey Brother Fillmore or a nutty Apostle John. A simple yet respectful Pastor Fillmore. I nodded. It's a pleasure to meet you. You work in the robotics lab with Dana? No, thanks. I'll leave the engineering to her. I'm the assistant office manager. Well, Dana's told us so much about you. She has? scrunched my eyebrows. To be honest, I don't know her that well. Dana rushed over, put her hand on my shoulder, and smiled at her pastor. Shouldn't you be getting ready for the service, Pastor Fillmore? It's practically code red. The pastor blinked. Of course. Excuse me. He dashed into the sanctuary. I peered cross-eyed at Dana. Code red? Dana giggled. That means it's 10 minutes to service. Oh, Word thing I don't understand. Minus one point. Another guy strolled up to me and drew me away. Hey, it's good to see you here. My name is Ralph Wade. Where do you live? Out on 36th Street. West or East? East. Ralph whistled. Cool that you're so wise and frugal with your income. Wow, somebody actually affirmed me for living in the cheap part of town. Usually folks commented how that was a tough neighborhood with the clear implication. That their newer subdivision was so much better. No snobbery here. Plus one point. Ralph peered into my eyes. What are your dreams? What would you like to do? Um, (laughs) I I I coughed, squirming. Uh, It might sound silly, but someday I'd like to own a neighborhood grocery store. Ralph smiled. Wow. Wow. Your own grocery store. That's a great dream. Think of how you'll be able to use the store to help others. Someone finally understood me, and it was a miracle he even asked. By the time everyone headed into the sanctuary, warmth engulfed my crown. I beamed from ear to ear as four of us guys headed inside together. Amazing. They all cared about what I had to say, provided encouraging feedback, and didn't go off on some tangent. Plus three points. Plush forest green carpeting softened every surface of the sanctuary and six rows of matching padded pews spread on both sides of the center aisle. Forest green, my favorite color, plus four points. A mural of Christ knocking at a door covered part of the left wall. The right wall displayed a mural of Christ praying in the garden. Churches should all have murals, plus three points. I craned my neck up. The ceiling featured an image of Christ on the cross. Perfect! Plus one point on the ceiling. Oh, this is beautiful! Dana winked at me from across the room and called. Glad you like it. I plopped in the third pew on the piano side. A choir assembled behind the piano. Wow, a real choir. Most churches had either a professional worship team or one person singing out of tune. A choir was a great touch. Plus four points. The choir and the whole congregation sang, I will enter his gates. Fantastic! My favorite call to worship and not a soul in the whole place was even a bit off-key. I joined in as we sang four hymns and two choruses, a great combination. All the songs had been on my 100 best hymns and 50 best worship songs list a few weeks back, too. The pastor took the pulpit and bowed his head. Dear Lord, we come before you not to be entertained, but to worship you in spirit in soul, in body, with all our beings, and in all truth. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray, amen. The pastor looked up. I'd like to speak to you from the Bible. We are continuing our study of the book of 1 Corinthians. For our visitors, we make it a practice to teach the Bible didactically to avoid the temptation to pluck scriptures out of context to support a pre-selected theme. Didactic preaching? Give the man four bonus points. I nodded as he preached, a broad smile pinching my cheeks. The sermon focused entirely on the point of the scripture. He didn't skip a single verse or go off on rabbit trails. Keeping in his proper place behind his pulpit, Pastor Fillmore raised a hand. Remember, you must run the race lawfully. Back in the 1999 NLCS. Robin Ventura hit an an extra inning grand slam. However, it was changed to a single when he failed to touch second base when going around the bases. We must touch all the bases to win the prize. Wow, a baseball analogy. No football analogies like so many other churches. I peeked at the children, all sitting quietly, looking ahead, nodding with appropriate reverence. Even the baby next to me cooed softly in his mother's arms. Three points for the well-behaved kids. After the concluding prayer, the pastor smiled and spread his hands. Would the ushers now please serve communion? A middle-aged woman in a brown pantsuit handed me a communion glass filled with grape juice and a small piece of bread. I held on to my peace. While three men served communion to the rest of the congregation, an odor percolated until the sanctuary smelled like my dad's auto repair shop. Was there an oil leak in the church? Did they even have oil heat in Idaho? Minus three points for the uncertainty. Everyone but me and Dana tossed the wafers into their mouth like they were popping in a breath mint and tossed back the communion wine like they would a shot glass. This was weird and disrespectful. Minus six points. The pastor bowed his head yet again. Let us pray. I glanced around. Everyone had their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Even the children. Well, at least the congregation was respectful about prayer. Plus two points. Following one last amen, we all made our way out into the foyer. The pastor jogged over to me and shook my hand. It was a pleasure to have you, Kevin. Join us for some nutritional light lunch in the fellowship hall. By the food table is our literature stand, where you can read our complete statement of doctrines and beliefs. I marched to the literature stand. I skimmed the statement of doctrine and belief, nodding. Doctrine's all correct. Plus five points. I held up. I held the statement up. Pastor Fillmore, you only have one copy. Pastor Fillmore shrugged. We only need one copy. Huh? Dana dashed to my side and flashed her buck teeth at us. You're funny, Pastor Fillmore. I'll run off some more copies. I meandered to the food table. Beside the tray of celery sticks, broccoli, and carrots lay a bowl of strawberries and a tub of fat-free whipped cream. Two white ceramic plates sat out also, each already holding a whole wheat turkey wrap. Beside them lay only two diet-flavored waters, only two ceramic bowls, and only two sets of real silverware. Whistling, I glanced up to the pastor. This is the healthiest food I've ever seen in church. Pastor Fillmore nodded. We want to ensure no Christian is ever tempted to violate a diet, for we are our brother's keeper. I grabbed a turkey wrap, three celery sticks, a spoonful of fat-free ranch, a heap of strawberries, a teaspoon of whipped cream, and a diet-flavored water. I missed the jelly donuts, but couldn't mark them down for doing what I'd urged churches to do on my blog. Plus three points, but I didn't have to like it. I settled in a cushioned black folding chair and mentally tallied the points. Beginning at 100, with all my deductions and additions, the church had 139 points. I had to be missing something. Wait, they forgot a key part of the service. I chomped on the strawberries. Pastor Fillmore, you didn't do the offering. Fillmore sent me a winning smile. That was on purpose. We just have a basket in the back for free will offerings. Like I'd said churches needed to do on my blog. So that would take them to 142. By my point system... This was the ideal church, if somewhat imperfect, but almost nothing was wrong. That in itself was wrong. The girl holding a question card read, What is the eighth book of the New Testament? Wait a second. She asked that question before church. The same boy responded, The eighth book of the New Testament is 2 Corinthians. Johnny, you have answered correctly. I marched to the girl and peered over her shoulder. She shuffled the blank card to the back and stared at another blank card. How many of each animal were taken on the ark? A four-year-old blonde responded, Noah was told to take seven pairs of the clean animals and two pairs of the unclean animals. The reader nodded. You've done very well. Now a bonus question about the number of goats in a sin offering. The four-year-old blonde smiled wide. I'd like to answer questions about the number of goats in a sin offering. I backed away and bumped into a steel wall. My body ached and I pitched face forward. Kevin, are you okay? I turned and blinked at Pastor Fillmore. Excuse me, Pastor... I lurched over to Dana, seated across the room. Can I talk to you a minute? Dana looked up at me uh, from her strawberries. Sure. I eyed the doorway. I'd be more comfortable outside. Okay. She latched onto my arm like we were going steady and led me outside. Dana, what's going on? What do you mean? I broke away and folded my arms. Why are the kids running through the same Bible trivia questions over and over again and reading off blank cards? Why did I smell oil in the middle of communion? Why did you have exactly one copy of all your literature? As if nobody but me would take a copy. And why is there only enough food for two people? Dana sighed. I'd figure you'd find out eventually. I leaned up against the building. Give me the truth. Everyone in the church, except for us, is an android. What? I gaped. Give me a break. I'm not just any old robotics engineer. I've achieved the dream of mankind realistic androids that can simulate human beings in precise detail. Unfortunately, the AI still needs work, so there's a lot of programming and reprogramming involved, and a few bugs. Crazy lady, minus 50 points. Why would you make an android church? Human churches hurt me. Robots never hurt me. They made me feel valued and empowered, so if I could build a church full of robots, they would always love and support me perfectly and never cause me pain. Poor kid. I know how badly spiritual abuse can wound the soul, "'There are support groups out there,' I said. "'Those were always good for other people.' "'I have my support group,' Dana waved behind me. "'I see. So why invite me?' She smiled. "'Well, you're the man I'm going to marry, of course.' Negative 1,600 points. Huh?' "'The Holy 8-Ball told me.' "'Holy 8-Ball? You mean the Magic 8-Ball? That's a cult.' "'No.' Dana shook her head. Pastor Fillmore performed a consecration ceremony. So it's a holy eight ball. One church I went to told me to listen to the spirit for guidance. But then at the next place, I got so confused as to how that worked that it became clear. I need something physical to guide me. I asked the holy eight ball whether I would marry six different men who entered the labs. The first five it told me no or was inconclusive. But then you walked in. I shook it, and God spoke through the eight ball that you would be my husband. I set my jaw. Man, I'd heard being isolated could lead a person into weird doctrines, but this one took the tinfoil hat award. I see. Dana smiled at me. Since you were to be my husband, I needed to get to know you. So you found ways of extracting information from my family. No, silly, Dana laughed. I hacked your computer and found out you wrote the church critic blog from your office computer. That right there told me all of your preferences and pet peeves, so I spent the past three months reading your blog and reprogramming and remodeling the church to fit your needs as well as mine. I gaped. You did all that just for me? Yeah. Don't you like it? You violated my privacy and tried to deceive me. She put her hands on her hips. You're really messed up. I painstakingly cobbled together a sermon from dozens of sources, edited it to fit modern language, working in an irrelevant baseball analogy, and you don't even say thank you. You're impossible, I clared. I want to be respected, not stalked, and to worship with actual sane people. She smiled. Don't worry. You'll grow to like it here. Not a chance. I'm never coming back. No. No. You're never leaving. Laughing, Dana cupped her hands to her mouth. She shouted, Pastor Fillmore. That was my cue. I dashed through the parking lot and across the street to the overgrown wheat field. I zigzagged through it, glancing behind me. Pastor Fillmore plodded out of the church in a straight line. I laughed. She'd made her dolls to play church, not to serve as attack dogs. I just needed to keep moving in a pattern the robot's simple navigation couldn't follow. You're not going to catch me, you plodding tin can. My foot met air as it sank into a hole. I flailed my arms and crashed face down. I leapt back up. Fire shot up my ankle. Twisted. Cursing, I hobbled towards the road. That android was going to start gaining on me. When I got back to town, I'd report her to the police and call the company and let them know she'd violated our policies. How are you different from her? I frowned. What was that supposed to mean? Maybe we'd both been hurt by the church, but that was where the comparison ended. And I hadn't violated any company policies, except writing my blog from work, but that wasn't as serious as unauthorized access. She'd squeal on me if I ratted her out. Maybe I'd just have to have a talk with her in a conference room where she couldn't call an army of androids to lock me up in her doll church. I limped to the edge of the field. A wine-colored Ford Taurus approached with its windows down. On my side, a red-faced, overweight man with a rusty goatee smacked the wheel and screamed, I can't believe I missed that turn! The pleasantly plump wife cringed and wrapped a chocolate curl around her finger. The rusty, bearded man sighed at her. Sorry, babe. I wasn't yelling at you. I leaped in front of them, waving my arms. The car squealed to a stop, and the driver stuck his hand out the window. What's the matter with you? I scrambled to the driver's side window. My ride left me in the middle of nowhere. The plump wife furrowed her brows and glanced at her husband. I glanced across the field. The android was thirty yards away and closing. I latched onto the bearded man's window. Please, I can pay. The bearded man waved. Nah, you need help. Get in. He pressed the automatic lock and the back door unlocked. I jumped inside and stared out the side window as the android closed into within five yards. The Taurus sped away and the android stopped on the side of the road, staring around, gaping like I had mysteriously vanished. I breathed a heavy sigh. The driver glanced in his mirror at me. Where are you heading? Home, hopefully. I carpooled here from Eagle. We're headed to the Franklin exit so I can take you that far. Or you can come to church with us, and I'll drive you home after. Sure. Where do you go? West Community Bible Church. A 65. Hmm. Maybe it'd be worth a second look, this time without the ratings.
1: Here's a fun poem called Toto by Pam McCleary. Shoes, a girl's second best friend. There was rarely enough money to have more than one pair at a time. The hard part was deciding. Flats, sandals, Oxfords. Summers were easy. Flats for Sunday dress, flip-flops or barefoot for home. Ah, but winter was far more difficult. I needed school shoes and Sunday shoes. One pair, though, usually had to do double duty. Every summer I spent a week with my grandparents in Culver. And every year they would take me to Toto for shoes. The Toto shoe store was shoe heaven. Aisles and aisles, shelves and shelves of nothing but shoes. An endless sea of color and style. How could a girl ever decide on just one pair? Grandmother must have seen my dilemma. This year, she let me choose two, sturdy school shoes and fun flats. Now, at the end of every summer, I take my grandchildren to Nordstrom for their school shoes to continue the memory of Toto and my grandparents. My husband calls me Imelda. For our younger listeners, Imelda Marcos is the widow of former Philippine president Ferdinand Marcos best known for her collection of some 3,000 pairs of shoes. She served as First Lady of the Philippines from 1965 to 1986.
0: If we had 3,000 pairs of shoes around here, we'd have to build a palace to house them. Quotes. There are a few quotes here. I'm going to just totally destroy this guy's poor name. Francois de la Rochefoucauld. I'm sure uh, he said his name better than I did. He also said, good advice is something a man gives when he is too old to set a bad example. Ambrose Bierce said, brain. An apparatus with which we think we think. Do not waste a minute, not a second, in trying to demonstrate to others the merits of your performance. If your work does not vindicate itself, you cannot vindicate it. That's Thomas Wentworth Higginson. Her name Wentworth. And Thomas Mann said, A writer is a person for whom writing is more difficult than it is for other people. We'll end by a couple of, with a couple of poems by Eugene Shea. This one is called "The Best Things Are Free." If the best things in life are free, and I've been told that they are such, why are the next best things in life the kind that costs so much?" And "Rise and Shine" is the last one. "So cold and gray, the dawn outside, But snug and warm, in bed you hide. Rise and shine, you shiftless creature." It's off to school that you must go. You can't be tardy, this you know, especially when you're the teacher. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening. You can find more of Becky Lyles under the pen name Rebecca Carey Lyles. Her most recent novels, Winds of Wyoming and Winds of Freedom, have both won awards and made the Amazon best selling list steve well he just really needs to get his stuff published if you have comments or suggestions send them to story at beckyliles.com tune in next week for more tall tales and fun fables at let me tell you a story